Ian Johnson is our preacher today. Would you listen as he comes? Good morning. So before uh, service started, Brad Cowan came over to me and he said, are you nervous? I said, well, a little bit. And he said, well, hey, don't worry about it. There's two services. So if it doesn't go well at the nine o'clock one, just invite everybody to come to the next one. So I, I invite you, if you so desire, to go to two services to come. Uh, hey, we're going to talk about a guy named Philip today. Uh, we are still in the book of Acts. We're going to keep going with that series. And Philip, in this story, he's got a title, um, a title that would be a good title for any Christian to have. Uh, if you skip ahead to Acts chapter 21, he's actually described as Philip uh, the Evangelist. Um, the Evangelist, which is a great title for anyone to have. Evangelism, of course, being uh, introducing someone to Jesus. Uh, when we evangelize, we share the gospel with someone who is unchurched, who uh, might not believe. And, you know, as Christians, we're all called to lead other people to Jesus. And Philip did an exceptional job at this. Now, he didn't do a good job at it because he was really charismatic or because he was a great teacher or preacher. He might have been those things, but he was good at it because he let the Spirit lead. Um, that was, first and foremost, what he did. Now, Philip, uh, the story we're going to read about today is in Acts chapter 8. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. Uh, and I'm going to dive right into the text real quick. In Acts chapter 28, starting with, or I'm sorry, Acts 8, uh, verse 26. Um, it says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go towards the south to the road that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. Okay, now I want to stop here real quick because we talked about how uh, great Philip was at evangelism and how naturally it came to him because he let the Spirit lead. So why would the Spirit lead him to a deserted place? That doesn't really make any sense. I, I looked at, at what this road was. I did some research on it, and it went down. It says it goes down towards Gaza, but that was uh, the old Gaza. There was a new city uh, that had been built elsewhere, and this one was a, a ghost town. Okay, this road... Uh, was completely deserted. You would not expect to find a lot of people. This, this, is, this is backwoods Kansas is what we're talking about, okay? So he calls Philip out there, and I just think it's strange that he would take someone who does such a good job of, of sharing the gospel, uh, and he would lead him out to a deserted road. It doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. And it makes even less sense when you look uh, earlier in this chapter, in Acts chapter 8, uh, I'm going to read uh, this passage starting with verse 4. It says, Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word, and Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the words with one the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had, had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. So Philip has essentially gotten the, uh, the mega church pastor experience. Okay, Rick Warren's got nothing on this guy. I mean, people are being baptized. Demons are being cast out. The sick are being healed. And that's awesome. And Philip, again, to his credit, he knows that that's, that's not by anything that he's done. But it's by the spirit who is leading him. Uh, and, and yet, even with that, it, it's probably strange that, uh, to Philip that he would be called to go to a desert road after all of that. You know, sometimes we don't really know what to do with ourselves. Philip would never know to go out to that desert road. Uh, but it's good that he did because, as we'll find out later in the story, something incredible happens. Uh, but the only reason that Philip knows to go is because the Spirit led him. Um, and sometimes it's, it's hard to lead effectively if you don't know who you're supposed to be led by. 
Uh, if you don't have good leadership that you're submitting to, it's hard to lead other people. Uh, my alma mater, Ozark Christian College, they have a, a program called Camp Teams uh, that I did for two summers. So what I would do for the summer, my job was I would go from different camp to different camp each week uh, in the Midwest. And it was like a recruiting tool, but I also was just kind of the camp grunt So any of the bad jobs that the youth ministers didn't want to do, I got to do uh, those things. Uh, So one camp that I went to, uh, the the youth pastors and the deans, uh, they weren't particularly prepared for that week. Uh, We had the speaker for the week nailed down, uh, and that was pretty much it. They hadn't really defined what anybody else's role was going to be. So it was kind of a fly-by-the-seat-of-your-pants type of week. Uh, So there were just a lot of moments because I I didn't have steady leadership. I wasn't really sure how to properly lead. And I think of one day in particular, it was the first, uh, the first morning of that week. Uh, Every morning, the adults and all the, all the sponsors, we would have a meeting uh, to just discuss, here's how the day is going to go. But the problem was we had like 70 junior high students that we also had to take care of. So one adult each morning would stay out with the junior high kids for about 15 minutes and just try to facilitate them somehow. Uh, while the adults had their meeting. And some of you are like, that's, that's my nightmare. Uh, I'm a youth ministry guy, uh, but I was by myself, so it was still a nightmare. But anyway, so that was my job the first day. And they didn't tell me about it uh, till that morning. They said, Ian, we need you to watch uh, all the junior high kids while we have our meeting. And I said, okay, I got it. Let's, let's do this. This will be fine. Everything will go fine. And I had no idea what to do. So I said, all right, kids, let's go into the gym. Um, so we went into the gym, and if you've been on a basketball court, you know that they have all these different lines and everything, and there's that circle in the middle of a basketball court. So I, I got all the kids, and I said, listen, we're going to do something awesome. And, you know, their, their eyes got like this big, like, I want to do something awesome. I said, but first, I need you all to fit in the middle of that circle, okay? So they all just rushed for that circle, and, I mean, it was a sight to behold. We had 70 junior hires piling on top of each other, all trying to fit in the middle of the circle on the basketball court. It was crazy. I actually saw junior high students launching each other on top of the pile uh, to get in the middle so they could do this awesome thing. I didn't have an awesome thing in mind. I had no idea what we were going to do. I was just trying to buy some time. (laughs) If you're a parent of a junior hire, now you know what I do when your kids are are being out of control. Um... And so 15 minutes goes by, and all the other adults walk into the gym, and the dean is kind of looking like, what's going on? He said, hey, kids, come on, it's time for morning devos. And all the kids stop in the middle of what they're doing, and they, they look at me, and one of them says, I think he's messing with us. <laughs> and it was a total flop. I mean, it was, it was a total flop, and I didn't know what to do. And I think part of that is I'm, I'm not sure how to lead these kids if I'm myself, I'm not being led in a way to succeed. And that's why I'm thankful at this church to have people like Kevin uh, and Dusty and Tim to lead us. But I think that this church, even more than just Kevin's leadership, I think we need to seek out the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Uh, I believe that the church is called to be a spirit-led people. Um, it says in John sixteen thirteen, but he, when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is to come. The Spirit has been given to us in order to guide us, and I think for us to be a successful church body, not just locally, but globally as well, we need to submit to the leadership of the Spirit. And I think that Philip does such a great job of this in Acts chapter 8 in this story that we've been reading. So I want to go back to the text. Um, Verse 27, it says, Philip rose and went... Um, And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. 
he had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join his chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet, and he asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Okay, now I want to stop right there again because this leads me to my first point about what it means to be a spirit-led person. And I believe that spirit-led people pursue others. Now this seems like something that's so easy to pass over and it seems like it might not be very significant, but I believe it is. We see that Philip runs to this man, okay? He doesn't wait for the guy to come say, hey, could could you help me with this? I'm not sure what this means. Uh, Philip runs to him. The word for run there in the Greek is prostreko and it means literally to hasten towards. It's not misusing it like we do when we say, I got to run to the grocery store, which means I'll go in like 30 minutes when the game's over. Philip is, is, is hurrying over to this man because he knows the mission and he knows that he's being led by the spirit. And I would hope that we as a church, when it comes to reaching out to other people uh, who might not know Jesus, that we would have a prostreco attitude, that we would make haste towards these people, not necessarily to Bible thump them right on the, off the bat, but, but to build a relationship with these people, to establish a friendship, to know them. Uh, I think that is, is important if you're a spirit-led person that you are pursuing other people. So I want to ask you guys this question, who am I pursuing? Ask yourself that. Because I, I think about how many um, non-Christian friends I have in my life, and sometimes the number is alarmingly low. I think it's important for us as Christians to have those relationships with people. And that's, that's a little bit difficult because there's a bit of an awkwardness, you know, when it comes to talking to unchurched people about Jesus. And we wish it could be a bit easier. We wish that we could just pray, God, please put people in my life who will ask me about Jesus. And we just hope that they'll show up and start asking us questions. Uh, at Ozark, there's a guy who, uh, he's been retired for about a year. Uh, he used to teach there. His name's Woody Wilkinson. About the sweetest guy you could ever meet. He's so nice. He is he is filled with the Spirit. He loves evangelism. He has a real heart for leading people to Jesus. In fact, if you were to talk to Woody, if you went up to him and said, Brother Woody, how are you doing? I guarantee you he would respond with this. Saved and sanctified, brother. Hallelujah. Okay, Woody is just that type of guy. He, he loves the Lord and he loves telling other people about the Lord. And I heard this story about Woody Wilkinson that uh, one day when he was younger, uh, some Jehovah's Witnesses came up and knocked on his door. And, you know, you might know that that's a way that they evangelize. They come and knock on people's doors and they share what they believe. So a couple of these people came and knocked on Woody's door and he, he invited them inside to his house. Uh, he had his wife, Rose, uh, put on some coffee or tea or something. He said, Rose, lock the door. These guys aren't getting away. And he would not let these men leave until they had allowed him to share the gospel of Jesus with them. Now, that would be terrifying if I was in their shoes. But that's just who Woody is. He, he loves to spread the gospel. And sometimes we kind of wish it was that easy. You know, we wish that people would just come knocking on our doors. Hey, tell me about Jesus. Tell me about the Bible. But, you know, it's, it's rarely that easy. Uh, it, it makes me think of Matthew chapter 9. When Jesus tells his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask God to send workers out into the harvest field. And of course, what he's saying is, listen, there's a lot of people out there who don't know about me. And I don't have a whole lot of servants who are out there telling them about me. So pray that God will send people out to spread the gospel. Okay. And we love that story. And a lot of you are familiar with that, but I think sometimes we ignore what happens immediately after in the following passage, uh, the first passage of chapter 10, Jesus actually sends out the disciples into the harvest field. 
Uh, so the disciples have prayed, God, please send workers into the harvest field. And now, right after that, they themselves have been sent out into the uh, harvest field. Um, and I, I think that's just kind of the model that we've got to go with when it comes to reaching people and pursuing others. I think that prayer precedes practice, which is a great line. I promise you, I didn't think of it. It was probably Woody Wilkinson, to be honest. And, but what I mean when I say prayer precedes practice is it is a good thing to pray for those who are unchurched. And it is a good thing to pray that God will put people in your lives who do not know Jesus that you can reach out to. But I also think it is an important thing that you afterwards, after you pray, you go pursue those relationships. Uh, Even in this community in Fort Scott, there are people who are unchurched who need to know Jesus. And I think it's important that we not only pray for them, but that we pursue those relationships as well. And I think that when we pursue others, I think we reflect the nature of God who, though he is mighty and and he is uh, all-powerful and doesn't have to interact with us, he still chose to come down as a man. Um, In John 1, it says, the word became flesh, made his dwelling among us. Eugene Peterson in the message says, uh, the word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. Uh, And that's what God did for us. He came down and pursued us. He has that prostreco attitude towards us that even though he doesn't have to pursue a relationship with he do, he does anyways uh and ultimately died and rose again for our sins uh let's go back to the text um verse 32 uh it says now the passage of scripture that the man was reading was this like a sheep he was led to the slaughter and like a lamb before its shearer is silent so he opens not his mouth in his humiliation justice was denied him who can describe his generation for his life is taken away from the earth and the eunuch said to philip about whom i ask you does this prophet say this about himself or someone else and then philip opened his mouth and beginning with scripture he told him the good news about jesus i want to stop there again and this leads me to my second point i believe that spirit-led people need to know scripture they need to know the word of god um we live in a country where we have Uh, a lot of access to Bibles, which is great, and I don't want to take that for granted. In fact, uh, I would say it's safe to say that most of you in here either own or have regular access to a Bible. There is an app now that they've actually made uh, that you can get on smartphones where you can read the Bible on your phone. It's amazing. We are so blessed with our ability to get a hold of the Word of God, but I think that this is important. Owning the Bible is not the same as knowing the Bible, okay? You might own something, but the question is, do you know how to use it? There's a piano uh, that I, that it's, it's been in my house longer than I've been in my house. Uh, this really old piano in every house that I've lived in. We've, we've moved a couple times. That piano has always come with us. The whole time I have been alive, I have had this piano. But I don't know how to use it. Uh, and and I, I, you do not want to hear me. If I were to get on this piano and play you, I don't, I don't know if you've ever bled out of your ears before, but if I were to do that... You guys would know what that is like, okay? And, and a couple weeks ago, uh, I went to a piano recital for Aaron Baher, who's one of our seniors, uh, one, of our, one of our graduates, actually, graduated from high school a couple weekends ago. Uh, and I, I went to his piano recital, which was in here, and I was blown away at just how well he played. He made beautiful music. He is very, very talented. And, you know, I, I was listening to it, and I thought, if I were to ask Aaron how he got so good at the piano... Well, he'd probably get, there's probably a couple different factors. I mean, no doubt he has the support and love of his parents, his family, his friends. Uh, I got to meet his piano teacher, really sweet woman, so he's got good teaching as well. But I think one of the biggest things is 
Aaron is doing this over and over and over and over and over and over again. And that helps him to be better at the piano. He just practices over and over and over and over. And I really do believe that it's the same with the Word of God, that if we can meditate and read this Word over and over and over and over and over again, it will be ingrained within us. Uh, A friend of mine, a mentor, when I was in high school, he always said this, if you get into the Word, the Word will get into you. And I believe that to be true. I think that as Spirit-led people, it's our duty to know the Word of God. Because Philip... Uh, because he knew the scriptures and he had been in the scriptures, he's able to help this man with this passage. He has no idea what the man's reading whenever he sees him initially, but then he comes over and he hears him reading this Isaiah passage, and because he's been in scripture, he's able to help him unlock the truth of what it means. And that's what we do for other people. Uh, When we talk to people who have questions about the Bible, it's our goal to help unlock that truth for them. So my question in this is, am am I in the Word daily? Uh, Because I think that's important. Am I in the Word daily? Uh, I I encourage, uh, as many of you, if you're not in the Word every day, I would encourage you to do so. It's it's a challenge for me to make this a high priority of my daily life. When we get busy, it's so easy to say, well, uh, you know, I can can double up on my reading tomorrow or something like that. I, I think it's important to be in the Word of God every day in some capacity, Even if it's just reading a little bit and then over time working your way up to more scripture, I think it's important to know the word of God and be in it every day. Uh, There's a girl named Maddie who I met at a church camp a couple years ago. Maddie's a high school girl. And uh, during that week of camp, she'd carry her Bible around and it was wrapped in tinfoil, which was pretty weird. Uh, But I didn't didn't think a whole lot about it because teenagers... They're just doing some weird things these days. I know some high school boys who have wallets made entirely out of duct tape. So I I see that, and I don't think a whole lot of it, but uh, Maddie was in my small group at that week of church camp. Um, And one evening, she shared with us why she wrapped her Bible in tinfoil. She said, said, I leave this underneath my pillow, um, and so then when I come back to my room at night, and I'm tired, and I'm ready to go to bed, and I've checked everything off my to-do list, I lay my head down, and I hear the crinkle of that foil, and I'm reminded that my day is not over yet. And she takes her Bible out, and she reads it. Now, I don't know what kind of measures that we need to take in order uh, to make sure that we're in the Word, but I want to encourage you as someone who is led by the Spirit to be in the Word. I think it's interesting. It, when, when you read uh, the Bible, and it says stuff about the Bible, um, a lot of times it will liken the Word of God to something that you use, like a tool or a weapon. I mean, Hebrews 4.12 says the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. If you go back to the Old Testament, Jeremiah 23.29, the Lord says this. He says, are not my words like fire and a hammer that breaks rocks to pieces? And of course, if you read uh, Ephesians 6.17, it talks about the sword of the spirit, which is, of course, the word of God. The word is something that we are to wield. But if you want to wield it effectively, you've got to know how to use it. So I encourage you, as spirit-led people, to know the word of God as best you can. Um, Going back uh, to verse 36, it says, And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, See, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. And this is a really cool end to our story. 
because uh, the Ethiopian, he, he listens to this text and it unlocks a truth for him. And that all culminates in ultimately the Ethiopian uh, being baptized. Uh, which leads to my last point, which is this spirit-led people celebrate renewal. We do. We celebrate renewal. And we believe that when someone is baptized into Christ, that they are a new person. In fact, uh, it, it says uh, in 2 Corinthians 5.17, it says that if anyone's in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. And we celebrate that renewal. You know, ba- baptizo, it's interesting, is, is baptizo is the Greek word for baptism. So it's not too different. Um, and it means to submerge. Uh, and if you were to say the word baptized to somebody back in the, the time of the book of Acts, they, they maybe would think of somebody being dunked underwater, but they might also think of this, uh, which was another uh, form of baptism, uh, when you would take a fabric or a cloth and you would submerge it in dye to change its color. And, you know, on the surface level, that seems different than what we believe uh, with baptism. But when you think about it, it's, it's not that much different. When we believe that when a person is baptized into Christ, they're completely new. Uh, they are completely made new, and that's why we celebrate that whenever we see someone baptized. Not because, oh, this will bump up our church membership, or, oh, this makes us look really good for visitors. Uh, no, we celebrate it because that's one more person who gets to spend eternity with us. And that's always worth celebrating. And I, I love how it, it happens to this Ethiopian. I love how his attitude, he says in verse 36, See, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized right now? And I hear that, and I hear that confidence and that desire to be baptized in it, it helps me know that this man uh, understood what was read to him in this Isaiah passage. And I want to talk a little bit about uh, this Ethiopian. We've talked about Philip as a character a little bit. I want to talk about the Ethiopian, who actually is identified with two titles. Uh, He's an Ethiopian and he's a eunuch, okay? Now, what we might not think about is those two titles are actually two marks against this man. Um, It says in verse 27 that he had come to Jerusalem to worship and was on his way back, which is all well and good. But you've got to think about the first title, which is he's an Ethiopian. That means that he's he's not a Jew. He's from Ethiopia, meaning he's a Gentile. Okay, that's what a Gentile is. A Gentile is someone who is a non-Jew. Along with that, he's a eunuch, which means that he was castrated, which is explicitly against Jewish law back then. And that means this. He would not have been allowed to enter the temple. I don't think we, we, we always think about that. He would not have been allowed to enter the temple of God. So he travels all this way uh, to, to essentially be told, listen, you can worship God, but you can only get so close to him. You kind of got to keep at arm's length away. You can't come in. You are not invited into the temple to worship. Uh, and I think it's so cool that the passage that he happens to be reading is about someone else who was also denied. Let's go back to that passage. And if you're looking for it in your Bible, uh, the passage is Isaiah 53, 7 and 8. Uh, like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent, he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation for his life is taken away from the earth? And after uh, providing exposition for that text, it says that Philip goes on to tell him the good news about Jesus. So this man understands, because Jesus was denied justice, I can now be received. Because he was not accepted, I can be accepted into the family. And he says, why not me? And that's why it's worth celebrating because this man finally knows he can come be a part of the family. And that's, that's what Christ's sacrifice has done for us. It has welcomed anybody. Galatians 3, uh, 27 and 28, it says that if we are baptized into Christ, we put on Christ. There is now no longer Jew nor Greek. 
nor slave, nor free, nor is there male, nor female, for all are one in Christ Jesus, and and we celebrate that. And in fact, if you're here today and you have not been baptized, but you want to, I would encourage you to come talk to to me, or or talk to Kevin, or somebody on staff, or an elder, uh, a friend in the congregation. We would love to set that up uh, and help you with that. If you are in the crowd today, and you've not been baptized, and you're not really sure Uh, please come have that conversation with us. I promise you it is worth our time. Because spirit-led people, by necessity, celebrate renewal. We celebrate the fact that Jesus Christ has risen and he makes us new. So if you haven't been baptized, I encourage you, uh, please talk to us about potentially making that decision. Church, I I want us to remember the importance of, of not leading ourselves, but being led by the Spirit. And I hope that we remember... That being led by the Spirit means these important things, that we do pursue people, that we do know the Word of God, that we do celebrate when sinners are brought home, when people who are lost are brought into the family. And it's it's a bit of an intimidating task, you know, to think that it's it's part of our job to go reach out to people who are unchurched. But I want to encourage you, it's, it's not by your power. It's by the Spirit of God, and of course, in 2 Timothy, it says that God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and of self-discipline. So if if that's been on your heart lately, the need to go out and reach other people for Jesus, I want to encourage you to pray, um, and I want you to uh, follow that prayer by going out and pursuing people. And, and, and you know, it's it's funny, I read through this passage, and I I think, man, but that was just a crazy coincidence, uh, you know, that... Philip just happened to be going down this deserted road and there actually happened to be somebody and he happened to be reading that exact passage of scripture. But you know, I think it's interesting. There's a guy named Bill Hybels you might have heard of and he's a pastor of a big church called Willow Creek. And Bill Hybels says this, it's funny how often coincidences occur when you're in the habit of prayer. I want, I want us to remember that today, church. I want to challenge us uh, to be spirit-led and I think it's a, a good place to start is to, to pray. So let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for um, pursuing us. Lord, thank you for giving us your word. Thank you for renewing us. God, it is my prayer that we would desire not to be led by our own, uh, our own desires, but by you, Lord, that we would go where you tell us to go, whether that's, um, that's to uh, huge cities and big revivals or that's to places that are desolate. Um, And it seems like your work's not even happening there. Lord, I I pray that you would give us the faith to know that when you are leading us, um, kingdom expansion can happen anywhere. I pray that we would be ever aware of how we can reach out and evangelize to people who don't know you, Lord. Because I know that that is your goal. That that is why you came, to seek and to save the lost. I pray that we would do that and we would lead others. But that first, we would submit to the leadership of your spirit. 